Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in the Environment. I'm Jason Schwartz. John Wallam has made a career out of writing about animals and the strange lengths to which people constantly have to go to reconcile sharing a world with them. Sometimes it means spiking our window ledges to keep pigeons from landing there. Other times it means donning a lab... Welcome to New Books in the Environment. I'm Jason Schwartz. John Wallam has made a career out of writing about animals and the strange lengths to which people constantly have to go to reconcile sharing a world with them. Sometimes it means spiking our window ledges to keep pigeons from landing there. Other times it means donning elaborate bird costumes to make endangered cranes comfortable enough so we can do for them what they can no longer remember how to do for themselves. In Wild Ones, a sometimes dismaying, weirdly reassuring story about looking at people, looking at animals in America... Mualem takes us to three different places on the North American continent where human communities have developed deep connections with animals at the brink of extinction. What follows is a story of frustration, devotion, love, and ultimately hope. We are also taken on a ride into the arcane historic backroads of American conservation and asked to wonder about its present and future courses. I'm so pleased to welcome John Mualem to New Books in the Environment. Hey, John, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Jason? Good, thanks. Your book starts in Churchill, Manitoba, which is a town that's basically at the margins of human habitability. Um, and the people who live there live in the vestiges of a former military base. Um, polar bears congregate there waiting for the Arctic ice to form. And so you have this strange cooperation or co- cohabitation of people and a large number of polar bears in this place. Um, and a kind of if it's not symbiosis, it's certainly a strange kind of mutuality is kind of developed between these two populations. Could you describe what life is like there a little bit? Yeah, well, yeah. So basically, Churchill's right on the on the western edge of Hudson Bay. So they're, they're, the bears have to come off the ice um, every every summer uh, when the when the ice disappears, you know, melts away on the bay, and then they've got to wait around on land for the ice to form again in the fall. And so really, you know, you, you put it exactly the right way. Like this is, this is the one place on earth where large numbers of polar bears are all congregated in the same place, um, at the same time of year. And it also happens to be where there's this, you know, little town with an airport and a, you know, railway station, um, and a hotel and all, you know, all the kind of the, 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 what you need for, for human, um, habitability. And so, and so what that means is that, is that essentially that the, the bears can be monetized, right? Because, um, you can, you can go, you can plan a trip to see polar bears in Churchill and you, it's really hard to do that anywhere else in the world. I mean, otherwise you're just sort of mounting these expeditions into these, you know, vast white wildernesses and hoping that you might cross paths with a bear or you might see one on the ice from the, the bow of a cruise ship or something. Um, and so what happened basically after the military pulled out of Churchill in the, in the, late 60s, 
um, is that, you know, now that the, the fort there was, was dismantled and, you know, the town went from about 7,000 people to about, you know, 1,000 people or even less, um, you know, within a matter of months, basically, uh, the wilderness started, you know, creeping back in and the bears that had previously steered away from the town now, you know, felt much more comfortable just walking straight through the town or digging in dumpsters and things like that. Um, and people realized that, you know, just as the military, um, their, their kind of economic reason for being with the military disappeared, they could revive the town as a tourist destination. And so now every fall, you've got about, you know, 10,000 tourists that filter through the town to get a look at the bears. And you've got a lot of media too, because obviously if you're filming some sort of nature special or something, you, you want to make sure you've got a good chance of filming polar bears if you're going to invest all that money. And so uh, Churchill's really become this, this nexus point where um, people and, and bears, um, you know, you know where the bears are going to be and therefore the people can go right to them. And so you've got these kind of weird transactions, I guess, between, uh, between people and bears going on all fall. At first it wasn't, it wasn't so, so much about people trying to get the, this last chance at, at seeing a bear. It was about something else about fear and, and danger. Um, how how has the transformation sort of been been managed by people outside of Churchill, and how has it been managed by people who actually live there and, and live near the Bears? Yeah, right. So so yeah, in the in the early eighties, which is about when the first tourists started coming to Churchill, um, the appeal was really. You know, that everyone thought of polar bears as these, you know, really bloodthirsty, menacing creatures. And, you know, wouldn't, isn't it cool that you get to go somewhere where you can see one of these things in real life because, you know, they're so mysterious and they live in these solitary lives up at the top of the world. And actually there was a National Geographic special called Polar Bear Alert that came out in the 80s, which pretty much uh, jump-started the tourist industry there where they, they filmed the town and they showed, you know, men walking around with, you know, their babies and a rifle over their shoulder because... <laughs> This was a place that was, you know, being, uh, yeah, you know, the, the bears were sort of, you know, these phantoms that roamed around the, the town. And there, that was the tone. The tone was of danger and kind of the allure of the danger of being so close to polar bears. And then in the mid-2000s, when, when climate change really started to peak in, the, in public consciousness and the polar bear became this kind of icon for climate change, a lot of the tourism now has, has uh, flipped into what, uh, you know, one, one academic um, uh, paper I saw called Last Chance Tourism, where basically people are coming to see these bears before they disappear because the bears around Hudson Bay are probably going to be the first population to, to go as well. Um, and and that's that's been really... Um, you know, good for the, the tourism industry. And that's been really good for the NGOs that are working up there um, to kind of put the spotlight on Churchill and on the polar bears that way. But I think it's, you know, basically what I was surprised to see is, is just how confusing and even infuriating it's been for people who live in the town, because these are, you know, nearly everyone I met in town who, who you know, resident of Churchill does not believe climate change is, is a real thing. I mean, they see changes in the climate, but they tend to think that it's a cyclical thing or, you know, or they just don't buy the idea that even if the climate changes, that polar bears are just going to starve on land and that they're not going to figure out some other way to survive. And I think, you know, as far as I could understand it, it really seemed to be um, because these people lived around polar bears. They lived in actual proximity to polar bears and that they had real one-to-one -one experiences with bears over the years. And they knew these animals to be, you know, very intelligent, very kind of creative animals that they had to respect as neighbors. And so the bear that they knew was not the same bear that you see, 
you know, in these commercials for, you know, like, uh, you know, when you see the, the image of the polar bear on, on a strand, stranded on an ice floe or something, just sort of looking forlorn and helpless. Um, that, that is not the same bear that, that they know. Um, and I think they really have become, uh, resentful of the environmentalists and all the celebrities and TV news crews that, you know, come through town every year because they see them as, uh, cheapening this animal, you know, using this animal to forward some kind of environmental agenda and really not honoring, um, you know, what the animal that, that, that they know it to be. For, for whose sake are, are we keeping these bears? I mean, for, for, for what reason would we keep these around as keepsakes? Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I should clarify. I mean, that, that was my, my term, right. uh, you know, no, no conservationist talked about it that way, uh-huh. but, but I talked about it that way because really, you know, I, that I felt like that's what we were talking about at this point. Um, and I think it, it brings up, you know, a whole host of different, you know, issues as, as you're, as you're mentioning. Um, but, but the idea that, um, so, so I think, well, I think it's important to go back a little bit. So, so basically the, you know, the polar bear became this, this icon of climate change because it, it, it was one of the first species where we had very clear science about how climate change was going to affect a species and how exactly it was going to drive a certain species extinct. Um, you know, there, there had obviously been a lot of science about climate change, but in terms of these very narrow studies about its effects on a particular species, <clears throat> excuse me, the polar bear was really the first, you know, and definitely the first kind of charismatic megafauna species that we had that information for. And so the idea became if you could get people to care about the the polar bear, you could get people to, you know, care about combating climate change and you could use it as a, as a kind of mascot to rally people behind. And I think what you're seeing now is that, 